The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit fef.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review Austin's dramatic playoff victory over RSL. We will preview the conference semifinal match against a team yet to be determined at the time of recording, and we will cover some other Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and we do not often talk about the production of this show, but I feel like tonight is a night we should talk about how the show that comes out today for everybody else, but tomorrow for us, is going to happen. So we're going to do the first half this, right? And then we're going to watch what is now a nil-nil draw 15 minutes in between FC Dallas and Minnesota, and then give you all a preview. How are you feeling about this, Landon? Uh, It's going to maybe end up being kind of a late night, but... um... It's. I think it should be exciting, right? It is. It's eight uh, fifty four p.m. Central Time at the moment. So, um, by the time most of you listen to this, you will know. I actually, by the time any of you listen to this, because I am not going to get this edited by the time this game's over. Um, we're actually still going to be recording it, but uh, by the time you listen to this, you'll know who we're playing. We don't know who we're playing, but we will know by the last half of this show. And we're going to do our best to give you a coherent preview of who the team might be. I feel like if it's Dallas, we may know a little bit more about what to say about this matchup than if it's Minnesota. How do you feel about that? Uh, I've yeah, I mean we we've seen Minnesota twice now too as well, so I think I could uh, give a pretty good, pretty good idea of what Minnesota is going to look look like for us too. All right, I think the narrative is more exciting if it's Dallas. Let's just put yeah. it that way. It'll be, <laughs> be a lot easier preview to get people excited about if it's Dallas. Okay, do you want to do you want to call our shot right here and say which one we'd rather see, or is that boring now that people already know? Uh, no, let's go for it because people now know that we don't know at the time that we're telling people <laughs> that we don't know. So I really want to see Dallas. Uh, we've you know we have this we've not we've picked up a point versus Dallas. We haven't beaten them, and I would really love for our first victory over FC Dallas to be at home in the playoffs at Q two Stadium. It's tough, right? Like it would be. The sweetest victory, but also the most bitter defeat, oh, right? Yeah, and the hard and the harder match, probably the harder. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. It's just like competition-wise, Minnesota would be a much easier team for Austin to beat, I think. Uh, but yeah, if if we could beat Dallas, it would be pretty awesome to do that at Q two in in that atmosphere. All right, let's get back from the future and the past all at the same time and cover some Austin FC news before we get into this uh, RSL playoff victory yeah so um the finalists for mls's end of year awards came out last week uh Driussi and stuver were the two that are on any of these lists so Driussi, of course is one of the finalists for mvp and then brad stuver was named to the top three for humanitarian of the year so uh both of course very well deserved um i don't know if Driussi is going to win this award at this point, just based on how most of the pundits are talking and how kind of the end of the season went. But still, to be probably voted number two uh, is is going to be great. I think we'll find that one out probably the week before MLS Cup. Uh, they've been announcing some of the others. I think they're just going to like sprinkle them out throughout the postseason. So we may find out about Stuvers before then, but we won't know about Drusy until the end. In any case, like hell of a year very well deserved to be on the list. Um, and yeah, I think Austin fans can be proud of him. 
Yeah, one thing I uh, I think Anthony Precourt tweeted <clears throat> after the match the other night that like don't cast your vote yet, but we believe that all votes have been cast already, think, right? Like the playoffs the, don't really matter, correct? The deadline has already passed, so uh, okay. yeah, it, they can't be cast anymore. Maybe GC changed some minds after this first round of the playoffs, but uh, yeah, get, votes have already been cast, so nothing that happened on Sunday can can change people's minds. Uh, some other Austin FC news, I guess league news that came out is the second round of the MLS Players Association salary dump came out today. And so I think the only two that we were missing were Ragoni and Caruso, right? Right. Yeah, those those are the only two new ones for us, although it did start the same old debates that we've seen over and over and over again that we <laughs> yeah. could probably get into the offseason about, hey, guess what? Danny Houston probably still makes too much. Diego Fagundes and Brad Stuver probably don't make it enough, and we can get into that in the offseason. That was not a surprise. But yeah, why don't you go over the numbers that we have for the two new guys? Yeah, so Rigoni is on... This is a pretty big gulf. Normally, you see the base salary and the guaranteed salary like a little bit different. His are pretty different. It's $1.8 million-ish for his base salary, and then $2.3 million for his guaranteed salary. So... I'm not sure what the bump there is, if it's some type of like signing bonus or I don't know what it is, but he's a pretty big gulf there. And then Washington Caruso, this is one we were pretty curious about is we didn't know how much money he's going to be on, but he's 327,000 at that rate, like with him not being fit, not really even making benches, like you'd almost think like we're not going to pick him up at the end of the year and he's probably not going to play for Austin again, but who knows? Yeah, I feel a little bit the same about that too. But on the other hand, I mean, at least it wasn't so big of an investment that it hampers Austin FC somehow down the road. But it's basically, I don't remember what the guy made last year. It's a little more than Ben Sweat made, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And, you know, it's just like, that's what you pay a guy who's kind of a guy. But yeah, I agree. I can't. You can find somebody else to be your four string right wing probably for less than that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and other piece of Austin FC news is that Anthony Precourt was named one of the CEOs of the year by the Austin Business Journal. Um, what do you think about that one, Jeremiah? Yeah, congr- congratulations to him uh, and the awesome business. Show. No, I mean, it's cool. It's good to see like our local sports team getting recognition among you know. Uh, I think there's like a tech startup and some other like a nonprofit, some other businesses in the community. I feel like he's probably earned it this year, especially um, both in terms of financial success, which they've had from the beginning, but then also on field production. Like I, it's. They're a machine right now at this point, you know, in terms of community impact, making money and being successful on the field. So good for Anthony Precourt. Yeah. And like during like during the build up to Austin FC finally existing, we are hearing a lot from folks up in Ohio, weren't we? And they are all telling us how terrible of a human he was, how bad of a job he was going to do. And so we like we weren't sure. Right. We didn't know what it's going to look like. And I mean, from the outside looking in, seems like he's. He and his organization are doing a great job. From talking to folks who work for the club, it seems like they they all think he's doing a great job and have, have done a good job giving them resources to do what they need to do and being involved enough to uh, to show ambition, but not so involved that he's stopping what what they are supposed to be doing or changing what they they need to be doing and kind of like letting the experts make decisions within the organization. So, yeah, it seems well-deserved and... Um, I yeah, very pleased based based on the comparisons of what the folks up in Ohio were telling us. Yeah, and not to make well, so this Ohio thing will make me think of something else. Uh, you know, also 
they talked a lot about how he was never around. Um, and I happened to just, I was at a, at event at Waterloo Greenway last week. It was Mumford. I guess there are no, there are no Mumford and Sons, but like Mumford still plays and like oh. plays, play. Yeah. So it was just Mumford and he played, he played some songs there, but like pre-court was there just like hanging out and being a guy in the crowd, like a normal dude around town in Austin, which is another thing that Columbus folks like that never happened there. So it's like, it's good. He's a part of the community and I'm, for, I'm happy for him to have won, have won this award and just like as another feather in the cap of Austin FC. All right. Should we get into the game, Jeremiah? Yes. Let's get into the game. I'm very happy. I don't know about you. I was very anxious for a long time. And well, I do know about you because I walked out of the stadium with you and you had apparently had some moments of being less than excited <laughs> during the match. But all's well that ends well. What an amazing match. Austin wins their first ever playoff match at home over RSL. I don't know why so many people on Twitter that are national pundits and people from Seattle are annoyed by the Austin reaction. But like <laughs> every Austin FC fan out there, you should be absolutely excited and thrilled. <laughs> That we made it out of the first round in our first playoff match. Yeah, it's so funny that like a lot of people midweek were saying like, yeah, I think RSL's going to play spoiler here. And then Austin celebrates the victory. And a lot of other national media people are saying like, why is Austin acting like nobody believed in them? It's like, you, half of you said we were going to lose. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But yeah, so ends up Austin winning this first playoff game in penalties. I think we kind of knew... Leading up to this, I think I said this on the show last week that we know what just a normal game at Q2 is like, that it's probably the best atmosphere in the league on a random Wednesday night in August. And so like it was going to be a step above. I think one thing we didn't predict or maybe didn't quite think of was that it was also like the most Austin FC game it possibly could have been. Not only were we taking the atmosphere to the next level, but just like the general vibes and flow of an Austin FC game. We also took all of those to the next level by giving up goals early, fighting back, having a dramatic ending and winning in the end. Yeah. The, what was it? we were before the only team that had uh, come back from two nil down three times in a season and just decided that that was good enough to do again. And I think it was the only team now to do it four times in a season. And I think it's only the third time in the playoff history, if I remember right, that somebody's come back from that deficit and won. Yeah, it, absolutely insane. I was like actually like felt physically unwell at times during the game. <laughs> it was like, God, I think it was maybe during the break between uh, regulation and penalties where like I kind of got dizzy and my hands were shaking a little bit. <laughs> but we we went out of the stadium. Yeah, we, we ran into you on the way out and all walked over to uh, cars and trains together. And we ran into a listener. Was it Casey? Is that his name? Yes. Yeah. So it ran into Casey on the way out, had never met him before. And he, he heard us talking and came over and said, hi, but we were just like kind of making jokes how I'm the more calm one on mic, but in the stadium, I'm probably way more unhinged than you ever are. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. And that's the other thing. It's like we don't ever like watch many games together. I think Nashville is the only game we've ever watched together. So like we just, you know, we do this show and we, we kind of have our own experiences. But uh, yeah, man, I, that was, I, I thought was I was going to die, though. Like it was it was insane. It was as loud as I've ever heard Q2, louder than I've ever heard Q2 in like the first two minutes of the game. Like <laughs> before anything happened, before anybody scored, 
it was already louder in there than it ever is. And it just got even crazier from there. But uh, atmosphere was unbeatable. We get the uh, the lineup comes out. Only one surprise, right? And it was Johan Valencia instead of Danny Pereira. Um, I I think there's reasoning for that, which we'll get into here in a second. But uh, everyone else was was kind of what we expected, right? Yeah, it was. We talked maybe about uh, the, there's some discussion about who the right wing starter might be, but I think we both expected it to be Finley going in, and then then also depending on uh, RSL shape, whether it would be Musa Gite or Maxi Aruti starting. But you know, I mean, on all those situations, each of those guys got a half. So you know, we started away and then we we shifted depending on what was going on. Um, so I say the only real surprise was the Valencia start. Yeah. So uh, getting into game activity. Um, Austin FC goes down early in the third minute. Sergio Cordova puts uh, RSL, RSL up early with a header. Uh, on this one, it's the, the defense just seemed a little bit out of whack here. So the center backs were shifted to the opposite side of, uh, of where the ball ends up on the right wing to mark the two forwards. Michael Chang, who was playing that right midfielder in the 4-4-2, he was pushed up and kind of pinched inside. So he was pinning Gallagher inside as well because he couldn't, because the center backs were shifted, he couldn't leave. Uh, Ruiz has the ball in the middle of the field. He plays one over Fagundes's head to Brody, the right back who pushes up high. And I, I think so, I saw some people saying that Gallagher was out of position and he should have stepped out there. I think because Chang was in the box, Gallagher couldn't go. So that's Fagundes' man in in my eyes. He ends up turning and going and marks him. But I feel like he didn't step to Brody with enough urgency there. And so he's able to get a cross off a little bit too easily. Uh, Cordova makes a run in the box and catches both center back sleeping and more or less unmarked for the header. And Stuver has no chance on it. So um, it's, I think, just like a little bit, I don't want to say lazy, but just a, a lack of focus from Austin FC there and from people, especially with Fagundes. Like, when is the last time you've accused Fagundes of not doing something intensely enough? Yeah, I would agree. That was really just a that was a team goal. And even you know, like Ruben was kind of there, you know, but like, and it was a great, it was a really well played header, and it was I think it was like a little bit of the the blame to be shared by a lot of a lot of the. Uh, players on on that one but uh yeah man that uh i don't know if it was a goal before the all right all right all rights were over but it was pretty close to that and it it but taylor quote taylor twelman on the broadcast said like oh that quieted the austin fans early and i would like to say like it didn't really quiet the austin fans like i don't feel like the energy left then and even when it got more dire i don't feel like the energy left so i guess we can probably go to the second goal too scored by the second guy the same guy yeah so this one comes off uh a cross bounces off of Johan Valencia in the box. Play continues, and in the moment, I thought it hit him in the chest. And so I thought everything was fine. But not long after, the ref halts play for a VAR check. They So they usually don't show the replays if a VAR check is happening. But for some reason, I don't know if this was an accident or if they started to show the replay and then realized they were doing VAR and then turned it off. But for just like one second, they showed a freeze frame up on the big screen of of the ball very clearly hitting Johan Valencia in the arm. And so I don't know that any of the south end of the section 
knew what that call was going to be, but anybody from midfield where I sit on the other side, if they were looking at that screen, they knew exactly what the ref was going to say when he stepped away from that screen and that it was going to be a penalty. Everybody except for the couple who was sitting right uh, behind <laughs> the ref. They were great. They were great. You know, the TV broadcast, I went back and watched again today, who were like tapping themselves on the shoulder, just like, don't, don't look at that screen down there. Like, trust us. <laughs> trust us. It was not, but yeah, that was, there was no doubt about that. And I don't know if now's the time to talk about the officiating, but I feel like there was a lot, there were a lot of angry people in the stadium during the time, but like, I don't feel like, I feel like they got almost everything right on the night. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we can get into it now. I, I think that's true. I, I think Q2 may disagree with us as a collective. <laughs> uh, I would say that um, me, me in Q2 on Sunday disagreed with me rewatching it again today i was like oh yeah he was right that was they, like that was totally a, yeah that was totally I, handball like uh he was like gta was totally offside later you know i mean it's like i think it was a well-called game yeah is, is his name rivas was that his name i, I think Vic, that's right. victor rivas i think is his name anyway i thought he was excellent um I, I thought he did a good job in the moment in the game and on the rewatch i even more so think so he did a good job of uh managing the game kind of keeping keeping everything under control i thought all the big calls he got right um, including like some, some kind of tricky, tricky card situations that I thought he, he did well in all of them. The offsides were all correct in my opinion. The no calls were correct in my opinion. So I thought he did a great job. Um, so then, so, it's so yeah, two, so we're down two nil. So that's, we've got them exactly where we want them, right? Exactly. Yeah. 15 minutes in down two nil. It starts to feel like it feels like in the next 20 minutes or so, like, maybe the next 15 minutes or so after this, like emotions start to run a little bit hot. Alex ring gets a yellow card a little bit later in the half, but it's because of accumulating so many fouls throughout the first half that he eventually has to be shown a yellow card. And I start getting nervous that like this game is going to get away from this team and maybe we're going to end up losing a guy because of cards. Uh, so Drew UC's goal in the 31st minute came as a very welcome very welcome treat at that point. And it was somewhat like RSL's first goal in that um, the offense did fairly well and did what they were supposed to do, but the defense just didn't quite do well enough. So Brody doesn't step, it's the reverse. Instead of Fagundes not pressuring Brody, Brody doesn't pressure Fagundes when the ball swings out to him on the wing. As the ball swings around, and Juicy does this very often, but as the ball switches sides of the field, Drusi will then push high and make a run into the box. And so him and Ruti both turn and start making runs into the kind of the center of the box as Fagundes kind of winds up to kind of winds up to make that cross. Drusi turns on a little burst of speed and Justin Glad had seen him, checks his shoulder and knows he's there. But whenever he turns his head is when uh, is when Fagundes is, is playing that cross in and Drusi turns on a little burst of speed, splits the center backs and glad can't get his head to the ball. And uh, it's a really nice cross from Fagundes that kind of splits that little gap right there. Drusi glances it to the far post with his head and Austin is down just one goal now. So uh, I guess this is going to obviously like, and then the MVP chance go up and everything, but like, do you feel like Austin relies too much on Sebastian Drusi to make plays happen at this point? I feel like he's such a focal point of the offense now, and he would be here. I mean, I don't really the, like the the PK. That's just like 
that he wasn't the guy that earned that. Like, do you feel like we're doing a little bit of standing around and waiting on him to create or? Yeah, it's it's less what? about creating stuff and more about finishing stuff. Or finishing. Because yeah, he's true. not necessarily only always the guy who creates the chances. Fagundes has done a lot more of that. But um, I think we definitely rely on him too much to finish chances because if you look at the goal differences, like Aruti scored some in, in bunches, but goes cold for long streaks as well. So... Um, yeah, you're talking about as as the team who took the the 38 shots the most in the history of the MLS playoffs, and, yeah, and like got one goal in the run of play uh, from Juicy. Yeah, it's, that's possible. Yeah, so uh, energy is up a little bit as we go into the second half, but it still seems like something needs to change. So at halftime, we see like as we're going into halftime, there's a few guys warming up. I, I, I think Danny Pereira is the last one over there warming up. And I think um, GTA goes over and starts warming up. So I, I figured there was some change coming at halftime, but I didn't know how many. Turns out there were three. So Valencia comes off, Uruti comes off, and Finley comes off. And subbed on are Pereira, GTA, and Rigoni. And I thought this was a fun little moment. But on the the broadcast, as they're going into halftime, they're showing GTA warming up on the field. And he catches the camera pointing at him and he makes eye contact with the camera and kind of like gives a little wink. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, we, you're definitely coming on, aren't He's you? He's in. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought I wanted to talk about Johan Valencia here. So okay. I think this has been like the thing that everyone's pointing to and saying like, Josh Wolf messed up here. Like he should have played Pereira from the start. Um, I, think it, I think this move is being judged a little too harshly. So Valencia was there to provide like to provide extra defensive cover. And I think him playing means he thought that RSL was going to sit deep and try to catch us on the counter. That's why Valencia is in the game is so he's going to be much more effective at stopping those moments than Danny Pereira is. After the early goal, we, we give up a goal in less than three minutes. The game that he was in the lineup for didn't exist anymore. And so, like, at that point, I think it's easy to look at it and say, like, oh, yeah, this is this is a bad choice for this game. It was like, well, this isn't this isn't the game that we were going to play. <laughs> and so he, he ended up getting the handball for the for the penalty. I think that's just a bit unfortunate. I don't think it was like such an egregious mistake. It wasn't great, but uh, just seems a little bit more unlucky to me than anything. But I think it's also when talking about the penalty, it's worth remembering that Danny Pereira leads the team in red cards. And so it's not like a guaranteed thing that he doesn't also do something catastrophic in the game. <laughs> um, but like, I, I think it's still fair to criticize the, the decision not to start Pereira, but I think it's as much misfortune as it is poor judgment on Wolf's part. Well, I absolutely would have started Pereira. And I mean, I can't, I mean, I don't think that Valencia did anything to your point that like turned the game in a negative way, but just given who RSL is and I feel like this is a game like our best 11 is better than RSL's best 11. I feel like, and I feel like Danny is part of that 11. And that's where for me, like I just, I roll the best 11 players that I can out there on the field and just trust that I'm going to be able to beat them, you know, given, given like versus like situation. And so like, I don't think it's like super over the top. Um, criticism of him i don't think valencia did anything particularly awful but like i I definitely think it was a mistake to start him and not danny 
Yeah, I, I think that's a totally fair view. I just, uh, my point is that like, yeah, maybe starting Pereira was the better idea, but I get it. Like, I understand what he was going for, and I don't think it's necessarily like a terrible idea. Are you look at this Matt Doyle tweet that I posted into the uh, into the outline while we talk oh, about that? I didn't see you post it in here, but yeah. I already know what tweet you're talking I think, about. I think you know what it is. He annoyed the oh, Matt Doyle. <laughs> I I respect this man. I think he's very smart. I think he's good at what he does, but I also think there's too much soccer for him to be an expert on all of it at this point, but he can't admit that and will never admit that. And so I think he at times gets a little big for his own britches and acts like he's an expert on things that he actually doesn't know that much about, including so, Austin FC's roster. <laughs> so for those of you that aren't reading this, it's, yeah, Doyle's tweet. I think this was, uh, I think this was right after the penalty. It says, turns out the guy who's played just 500 minutes this year because he was so out of his depth is still out of his depth. Yeah, he so Matt Doyle tweeted that exact phrase after the first time Valencia played significant minutes. I think he played 30 minutes in a game or something like that. And he he tweets like, oh, Valencia looks terrible, completely out of his depth. And it was at, after a game where like, I thought Valencia was fine. I think everybody thought Valencia was fine except Matt Doyle. And from then on, he's just like, Valencia's terrible. He's been a huge bust for Austin FC. And completely ignoring that, like, Valencia was hurt for a big chunk of the season. He, he didn't know that. I think that's telling to show how much attention he's been paying. Um, also, another telling thing is I saw Matt Doyle say something about Austin's double pivot, like, within the last week. Like, Alex Ring, an important part of Austin's double pivot. If you've watched Austin FC play this year, you've know that they have not used There's a double no, pivot. No double pivot, yeah. Maybe against like the the LAFC away game and maybe one other game. You could say Austin was playing offensively anyway in a double pivot. Aside from that, it's been a lone six with two attacking midfielders in front of it. And so anytime I, I hear someone say something about Austin's double pivot, I automatically know like, okay, you looked at the graphic on MLS's website. <laughs> but haven't actually been paying attention to what's going on. So sorry, I, I, that's a little bit of a rant against Matt Doyle. Again, I like him. I think he's smart, but I think he's way off base on this one. I like, I love your fire about this Landon. So, and now we're, now we're 52 minutes into the match. <laughs> if, if you ask, if, terms, if, terms if you of ask, game flow. ask my wife, one of my biggest flaws is that I can't stand for people to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So the guys come in. They don't actually... I don't feel like there was a ton of change in the game flow uh, at the first few minutes of after halftime until the second yellow on Rubio Rubin. And I don't know how you feel about this. Like, I felt... This is one of those where it was absolutely the right call. And we were a little bit lucky that he kind of, like, bounced off the ground and his studs went up. And also, Brad Stuver made everything he could out of that to make sure that... Like, that was a situationally where, man that knew what that call could mean too. Yeah, in the in the moment during the game, and then even they, they showed a replay on the board there too. And I was like, this is absolutely a yellow card. Watching the game again today when I got to see some better angles, I do think Rubin tried to pull out of it. And his his studs were up because he was trying to like get his feet further away from Stuver. That being said, he could have pulled up a little bit faster once he like it was you can see at a certain point that Stuver was going to get to it before him. And so even if the intent wasn't there that he was trying to slide in with his feet, 
that doesn't have to be, like you, there doesn't have to be intent for it to be dangerous. And so I think it was still the right call. It's it's a little unfortunate for Rubin, but I still think it's absolutely the right call to give a yellow there. Yeah, no doubt. And if it, that's if I was an RSL uh, fan, I would say, in the same way that Josh had said some things about like when Danny got his second yellow in red, like don't just don't put the ref in a position to make that call. You don't have to worry about it. Like he absolutely could have pulled up. Like he, and there's probably not. I don't I don't know what he achieved out of what he thought he was going to achieve out of like the move he made like he could have just stopped and 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 taken it out of the ref's hands especially knowing he's already on one yellow yeah and i think the thing that you look back to is that the first yellow was kind of senseless like he it's an aerial duel and he runs and just goes full force into cascante's back with his shoulder it's just like needlessly aggressive and if he's just a little bit smarter there then the second one doesn't matter but um yeah i Poorly managed by Rubin, but again, I, I think the ref called it right. I do too. So then, and we, then we go through a long time of what everybody was talking about today on Twitter about why Austin shouldn't be proud of the victory, where Austin is up a man playing at home against the seven seed, created a ton of shots. I mean, it's some decent shots and some good opportunities. Yeah. Um, so they just so, couldn't convert. So after that red, Arcelo goes on, down to 10 men and they eventually sub off all of their forwards. And are playing like a 5-2-2 in attack and then a 5-4-0 in defense. From the point of the red card on, Austin had 26 shots, 11 corners, 50 crosses, and 75% possession. And could not score a goal. (laughs) Um, So for the rest of regulation, they end up playing Julio Cascante as a second striker. Uh, they bring on Coleman-ish to whip and crosses, which I really liked that move. Um, if you're going to play a million crosses, then John Coleman-ish is the one to take those. And there are a few pretty good chances. So uh, missed headers from Rigoni and Gabrielson. And then also, we should go back to the beginning of the first half. So Rigoni almost equalized like two minutes into the first half. Fagundes and Pereira combined really well to create this chance. Pereira hits a, a low ball across the six yard box. It finds Rigoni on the back post and he's like two feet off the goal line and somehow hits it over the crossbar. I don't like, f- like physics wise. I don't understand how it happens. <laughs> um, Oviedo slides in and kind of gives him something to think about. And I think kind of forces him to change his stride a little bit, but I don't think gets a touch to it. Rigoni tries to argue that that Oviedo touched it and made it go up, but I don't think he does. Um, I, yeah, I watched it a couple times today because I knew that that was the case, and I did not see that either. So, like at that point, I was like, "Oh no, this is going to be the kind of game it is, huh?" <laughs> do you want to do you want to get into the like Rigoni versus Finley and yeah. what everybody thinks about Rigoni uh, moment here before we get into sort of extra time and PKs and all that? Yeah, so going back to the starting lineup, like I think based on recent form, based on who you think is going to give you the best chance to win a single game, I think Finley's absolutely the right call. That being said, I think this is maybe the only game so far where Rigoni looked better than Finley in the minutes he was on. And yeah, that, I think- d- despite the misses, I still think he was like a really dangerous player and helped the team out quite a bit. Yeah, and I almost go back to like the first time we saw him where you think like this guy is obviously super talented. 
and has something that not a lot of other players who play regular minutes have, but he's just he's just a little bit off. Like he's a little bit out of sync with the system. He's a little bit finding his way. And I really have faith that by the time that he has a full offseason to work with everybody when we get into next year, that he'll work a lot of this stuff out. But it's a lot to ask of a guy to come in the way that he has, not even midseason, like really late in the season and contribute. So there was yeah, there were two misses that were not great. But to your point, like his crosses were good. Like obviously it's good to have him to be able to deliver a corner when we need to. Like and he can do some things that nobody else can do. He just hasn't put it all together. But it doesn't leave me thinking that that was a, like a waste of his designated player spot to bring him in. Yeah, one thing I was thinking during the game is that we've talked about how we wish he would take guys on and get to the inline a bit more often. Instead, he almost always will kind of juke and cut back in on his left foot and take a cross. The counterpoint to that is he is always able to get himself open to make that cross as well. And so like, it's not a bad option to have a guy who can put in like that good of a cross and get it off and get open to get it off every time. And so like, I I think that's a positive. I still think he should mix it up a little bit more, but, um, but yeah, he's, he's just not quite there yet. Uh, And it's like, you see he's so close sometimes and it's just, it's frustrating, but um, I still like, it's a weird thing where like, I feel like he played a good game, but also he should have won the game for us two, right. two times in the game. Cause there was a header later on in the first half where um, Fagundes and, and Gallagher combine Gallagher gets a cross off, finds him, wide open at the back post about six yards out unmarked and he doesn't get it on target uh, with, with his head. And so it's those two moments. There's another header that he gets on that he does really well to even get his head on it and hits it into the side net. That's a a really tough finish there. So uh, no shame in that one, but yeah, if you have to think if, if he finishes that one, two minutes into the first half, like a very easy goal to finish, it seems like that game's different and we end up maybe winning it three or four, two. Yeah. So, okay. So on the good side for Goni, we get into uh stoppage time and he does earn the uh, penalty kick, right? That's the, the one that Drew Drew eventually converts to make it two two. That was a yeah. Goni play, right? It was. Yeah. So um, I think Kolmanich plays across into the box. It gets headed up into the air by an RSL defender Rigoni takes the shot out of the air and shoots it, and Scott Caldwell blocks it with his arm. And Rivas instantly calls a penalty. They, I think they review it and um, don't even send the guy over to check it. They're like, nope, that was a pin. Give it. Drusy slots it in, and Q2 like erupts with excitement and relief all at the same time. They're like, <laughs> right. okay, this is, it's not over. It's not over. <laughs> And so I think there's maybe a couple of half chances in the next minute or so, but we end up going to extra time. Uh, There's a few chances in extra time. Drusy gets a header, like a glancing header, puts it off the inside of the post. It bounces back into the mixer and a defender finally gets it out. And then uh, there was another one. Drusy scores and it gets called back because Jite was offside as the cross came in and he gets his head on it first before juicy slots it in so um it's just uh it's so frustrating to know that we have this many chances to finish it and we can't do it Um, i know and plus and plus at that point right we're playing 11 on 10 right so 
every every moment in the field of play is an advantage for Austin, and every second that we creep closer toward the uh, toward PKs like takes that advantage away. And I feel like RSL did a pretty good job of like time wasting and housing as you should when you're down, uh, particularly the keeper. Like you're down ten eleven. Like how much do we, how much do you think that was like legit, and how much do you do you think that was good old fashioned gamesmanship? I think it was mostly gamesmanship. I do actually think McMath was like pretty beat up by the end of it. Um, I thought they did a good job of like, like if you're going to do the gamesmanship, I thought they did it really well in a way that's like, wasn't going to ever get him in trouble. was never going to get him a card. One thing that did kind of annoy me, and this is like with refereeing in general, but there are oftentimes McMath would catch the ball or end up with the ball in his hands and he would just walk around his own box for like, eight, 10, 12, 15 seconds. And there's like, there's a rule to that. You can hold the ball for six seconds without being penalized. And he consistently did it for much longer than that when there was no Austin players anywhere near him. And I I think this is a thing that just doesn't get called in soccer, but he was like clearly abusing this rule over and over and over. And they never even talked to him about it. And so like the time wasting on goal kicks, that's another thing where Fagundes ended up being his personal ball boy and going and getting the ball and putting it down on the spot for him every time the ball went out. Um, but the, yeah, the holding the ball in the box really frustrated me. Um, anyway, we go into penalties. Actually, let's talk about this for a second. So we talk about having, 50 crosses after the red card. It was 68 crosses into the box total. It seems like a lot. I heard some criticism for Austin, like resorting to that, but like, I think it's all you can do when a team has like, they have nine men packed into the box. What else are you going to do? Like, you're not going to pass your way through that anymore. And so I think that at that point, Austin did what you do in that moment and just, put your center back at striker, get your best cross of the ball in and just like get as and many balls in there and like buy as many lottery tickets as you can. I thought they did a good job of um, like shifting the ball back and forth. So you keep that, they have that block in the box, but you keep that block moving, keep them a little bit off guard as you shift the ball, get a quick cross in as everybody's moving. And I thought they did a pretty good job of that. Couldn't get it in, but like, I don't know what else you're supposed to do. And it's, Easier said than done trying to pass through that many people standing in one small area. Yeah, I guess my only criticism of that, because we've talked about this over weeks, is you could just like on the long throws and the corners, like the just every time trying to put it on Julio's head and not having any other idea about what to do. It just works so often, though. <laughs> I, I guess. I guess. I guess. But even like, I feel like at one point, like Diego's like tapping himself on the head and like looking at Julio, like. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, this is where the ball is coming, <laughs> just in case not everybody knows that. Yeah, I guess we can quickly, before we get into PKs, talk about the stats, just because they're amazing. So, like, there was 38 shots for Austin, 11 for RSL. Um, X goals, 4.4. It's like, to your point about frustration, yeah, X goals is 4.47 to 1.53. Um, you know, outshot them inside the box, what, 20 to 5? 60 whatever crosses like it was and what possession was 68 percent or something for the game so i mean it was it was was very much a like play against rsl and see how much x dog they can bring out to like keep it competitive kind of match and they they did that so and the other thing i thought about was like it was interesting that the the digital clock at q2 was not ready for 
uh, extra time. <laughs> yeah. And rolled over, rolled over at 99.99, which was a little bit confusing. Yeah, they started it back at 90 and then got to 99 and then went back to zero and counted up to five. And then they started at five and counted to 20. <laughs> so 20. Yeah. I wonder if that's like a software thing or if there's like it's like physically incapable of I showing mean, over 100 minutes. There has to be another digit available on that board somewhere. So I think it, ha- <laughs> I think it has to be a software thing. Um, and then it's, it's stupidly, just to talk about um, PKs, as soon as the little like the five like circles came up, we were ready for PKs. They were like empty. I was like, oh, this is an exciting feature of the scoreboard. Like I had no idea how I was going to display that. And like my whole section was fired up about it, which I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that says about us. So going into the PKs, so McMath faced 38 shots, was forced to make nine saves. He looked like, yeah, he was probably time wasting a little bit, but he also looked in pretty rough shape by the end of the game and was moving pretty slowly. And so that gave me confidence going into a penalty shootout. I was like, I feel pretty good about this, knowing Stuver, his record with penalties, and then seeing we're going up against a beat-up keeper on the other side. Also, uh, RSL had taken off all of their forwards at this point and just had a bunch of defenders and midfielders in there. And so that gave me confidence. Another thing that um, was passed on to me is that friend of the show, Ramon Ramirez, was... (laughs) counting how many South Americans were on the field for each team. And we had them beat like five or six to two. And Ramon was like, I'm not worried. We've got this. We're, we're going to win. We've got more South Americans. <laughs> he ended up being right. <laughs> so, yeah, and all, uh, all of ours took shots, right? Um, well, we only ended up having three, didn't well, we? Well, three. I was going to say, sorry, all, all three of our shots were by South Americans. Let me yeah. rephrase that. Yeah. And so Silva, one of their South Americans, takes the first one. Stuver guesses right, but he kind of hits it with kind of a strange pace and it catches Stuver off guard and slips under him. And so RSL gets the first one. Drew sees the first to take for Austin. McMath guesses right on him, but it's so well placed, hits it really hard and gets by McMath. Um, Brody is up next. Stuver guesses right, saves it pretty easily. Not a really well taken penalty, but Stuver does well to get there. I, I love this from Stuver, though. He barely celebrates, allows himself a little fist pump, and then gets up and is just sober-faced, walking back over to the side, like stays focused, just ice ice water in his veins kind of look on his face, like, okay, if this isn't over yet, I'm still focused on the next one. And so I, I love seeing that from him. Fagundes I'm, is up next. Sorry, go I ahead. I was going to say, one, one of the things I loved about this shootout was it being in the South End. Oh, I think man, it made yeah. it like so much more dramatic and exciting to be to do all that in front of the supporters, so it's, especially when it played out the way it did. Yeah. Uh, so Fagundes is up next. He like sends McMath the wrong way with his eyes and just kind of places it in to the opposite side. Ojeda comes up, uh, aims high. Stuver guesses right, but Ojeda hits it like a little bit high and inside. Stuver does really well to reach up and kind of back with his hand and just pushes it up onto the crossbar. It looked like it, it bounces right down in front of the goal line, and if there was a different spin... Stuver was going to have to scramble to keep that one from crawling in, but the the spin ends up being away from the goal and it ends up about a yard out from the goal and he doesn't have to do anything. And so at this point, oh no, so Rigoni is up next. Did you notice that Rigoni took it with his right foot? No, I didn't. He took the penalty with his right foot, which like I thought I knew that which foot was the strongest and now I'm just more confused than ever. I don't know if he... 
like did it to throw the keeper off if he alternates or if he always takes pins with his right foot. But I was sure his strongest foot was his left foot. And then he goes and does this. So who knows? Anyway, buries it, does great. At this point, we need either one more goal or a save and it's over. We win. So Tate Schmidt steps up, takes his shot and it lands in the horn section of the Morga and Austin wins. (laughs) Absolute insanity. It was, uh, I like, I don't know. I, you, you know, like, even though I get worked up and frustrated during the game, I'm usually not one to like be overly joyful or overly sad about anything. And this moment was amazing. Like it was so cool to be there and see that in person. Yeah, it was incredible. I was, uh, it, yeah, it, like I'll, ne- I'll, you'll never have a moment like that. Which, which one of the, um, there's this great video of super like, being mobbed by the uh, other players. Was that after the Schmidt miss? Yeah, after the Schmidt okay, miss, Stuver turns around and holds up his arms to the supporters' end there. And then uh, Kevin Morris pointed this out on Twitter, but Stuver times it perfectly that as soon as he turns around, everyone else, the whole team arrives and kind of mobs him there. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful moment to see them all celebrating there. Uh, it, yeah, it's absolutely insane. The, like... I don't even know what else to say about it. <laughs> I know. Well, here's here's the my personal story about that. It's like my 13 year old is now too old and cool to ever like hug me and tell me he loves me. And he like is in that moment we did it. He's like jumped up. Well, he didn't jump up. Like he would knock me over. He did, but he like leaned over and gave me like a giant hug and gave me a big kiss and told me he loved me and like thanked me for being there. Like, <laughs> he never does that anymore. But that's what sports will do for us. That's like beautiful. in that moment, it was incredible and emotional. And uh, yeah, I'm sorry for all the screaming I did to everybody that happens to be around me in 106, but like it was totally worth it. And everybody else was doing it too. Yeah. So uh, we we mentioned earlier, we walked back over to Hop Squad where we parked and where y'all are going to catch the train on the way back out and just watching everybody walk over there. Everyone just looked dead. Like it felt like we had all played in that game as well. (laughs) Oh yeah. It was super draining for sure. All right. Well, I think we've about covered it, Jeremiah. Anything else you want to say about the game? No. Uh, the only other thing I would add is like I did love the the uh, tifo, the uh, Verde oh, Austin, Austin Lawrence tifo, and I, like I feel like we don't get into this culture stuff enough, and we should do that more in the off season. But it's beautiful to see that go up. Yeah, I did get to go and help paint a little bit of that, but didn't hadn't seen the whole thing. Of course, I only got to see like the little chunk that I painted solid green in the little boxes where they told me to paint. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was really, really great. It, it's like, it's so cool whenever you get to see these shows of how the community is kind of gathered around this team. And like the TIFO is the, the ultimate, the ultimate display of that, right. Where so many hours of work and volunteer time and money have gone into creating this big piece of art and to get to display it on national TV in front of all these people. It's a really special moment. It is. It is for sure. It's magical. Um, it's, it, it's like a, the, like you said, it's one of the best parts of this culture is to be able to see that. And to know that like you do all that, you like people do all that work and then it's that it's gone right after like two minutes or whatever, which almost yeah. makes it like more, it just like shows the passion even more. Like it's, you do this for like such an ephemeral like project in a certain point in time, just because of all the love and all the commitment you put into this whole Austin FC thing. All right. Well, Jeremiah, we're going to 
pause the recording here and then watch the second half of Dallas versus Minnesota. And then after that game's over, we'll come back and record the rest of the show. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. Listeners, hang tight. We'll be right back. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at Sage Wilson Property Group. If you are someone you know or in need of Sage real estate advice in Austin, you should talk to Sage Wilson Property Group. You can find Eric, our buddy who keeps trying to invite us to matches and we never are able to go. And I feel a little bit guilty about that. So Eric, just know, like, we love you. We want to come. Things happen. We can't always make it. You can find him at sagewilson.com. And as always, Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And I was just uh, you know, browsing their Instagram page, as one will do. And I just I love how like it's all focused on the people and the community and like celebrating like birthdays and things they've done and stuff like that. I think that really goes to show how they are a different kind of injury law firm, really, that's just about the community and their people and and all the goodness about Austin. Were any of those birthdays celebrated on top of a crumpled truck? (laughs) No, they were not. They were celebrated with smiling faces. (laughs) All right. Well, you can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. Support for Moon Tower Soccer is also brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Join over 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, for Moon Tower Soccer's listeners. 20% off and free shipping with the code VERDE at manscaped.com. So, Jeremiah, I think you already know this. Anybody who's seen me at Barton Springs knows this, but I am a hairy man. I have hair. On my chest and pretty much everywhere else too. Uh, I think most people who know me also know that I am not the kind of guy who's going to shave my whole body ever. That being said, I did get the lawnmower 4.0 in the package that Manscaped sent us. And they have these guards on them. So a few different lengths of guard that you can use. And uh, I tested it out. It's it's great. Like I'm, I'm never like I said, I'm never going to be the guy to shave everything. And whenever you're very hairy... If you want to trim anything, it's hard to know where to stop because then you just have a line (laughs) where you stop trimming. And so if I wanted to shave my shoulders or my chest or wherever, there's going to be a line wherever I stopped. And so having the option to put those guards on there and kind of just do a little bit of trimming was, was really great. And it's, I've, I've owned quite a few beard trimmers and, um, hair trimming equipment over the last 15 years and this is it's high quality so like i i know what a good one is and what a bad one is i've owned both this is a high quality machine i really liked it um so like if you're not the kind of guy to to shave down to the skin everywhere this is still a really great machine and i think worth worth having for sure yeah they're really easy on and really easy off too like you can you can figure it all out right it's the whole the whole the whole setup is very user friendly in terms of the packaging the charging and everything. So we'd encourage you all to check out Manscaped. So you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code Verde at manscaped.com. 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Okay, we are back. Uh, We just watched 
Um, 45 minutes plus another extra 30 minutes plus a penalty shootout of the FC Dallas-Minnesota game. Jeremiah, I think penalty shootouts are a lot more fun when it's not your team in them, right? Yeah, that was absolutely way less stressful than I would have thought it would, that it was on Sunday night. But I'm also happy at the same time because we want the team that we're playing against to have gone through exactly as much grind as Austin has done. And we've accomplished that. Absolutely. So uh, we got a text from a friend the other day asking if this was the outcome, if they could come on and help preview this game. And I can't think of a more apt guest for this than Chris Full Wellhausen. Hello. It's time. It's finally happened. The prophecy is fulfilled. What more could you want? I, I, what more I could want is to play Minnesota instead of Dallas, but <laughs> no, 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 not at all. This I've, I've been telling y'all since it was a possibility. This is exactly what I want. This is, this is why you, you follow this horribly beautiful game. This emotion, how miserable you're going to be all week waiting for this. This is what it's all about. I'm, I, I cannot begin to describe how excited I am. It's so like let's, before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about just like FC Dallas in general, and like kind of the, I think how the playoff bracket worked out. So, so Dallas ended up finishing third. They had a strong after they uh, added their roster, had a strong second half of the season, um, and this like playoff bracket is all uh, favorites now, right? So it's going to have a old Trafico between LAFC and LA Galaxy, and then the return of the Copa Tejas match between Austin FC and FC Dallas. Um, Landon, what do, we, what do we know about Dallas and what should, we, what should we expect from them just in general? So anybody who watches the U.S. national team and is a fan of that team knows how Dallas plays. It's very similar to what that team wants to do. Uh, I think as far as weaknesses that Austin FC has, one of them is playing against a low block. The other is playing against a high press. And that's what FC Dallas has done against Austin more times than not, right? And so I think that's a dangerous part of the game that uh, Dallas will bring to Q2 on Sunday. That being said, I think I would almost rather face a high press at this point than a low block because we've shown over and over again that we have difficulty with the low block. We've actually beaten high presses at times. So um, they are going to come out and press us. They play, they like to control the ball. Uh, they so brought in Sebastian Legette in the midseason. Paxton Palmacall has been really good this year. Um, and then Alan Velasco is a guy they brought in the offseason, I believe. And then brought in Paul Ariola. Uh, I don't remember if that was midseason or preseason. But anyway, big addition to the team. The guys who have been starters in the past against Austin are now bench players. So they really have strength in this team. They're going to try to control the ball, try to press us, try to uh, win chances in transition. So Austin needs to, A, protect the ball. They need to uh, be careful playing out of the back with this high press and be ready to just launch it at times, which I think Austin has been better at, right? Like that's the thing they've gotten better at over the last two years. So they'll, they'll need to be careful there. Um, but it's one of those games, like if, if Austin and Dallas both play their best game, Austin wins, but it's... You guys are wasting your time <laughs> talking about tactics. All right, wait, wait, wait. Approaches. Before we get there, can we just like touch on the most odd but satisfying head of hair in the entire league? 
Jesus Ferreira, who's also maybe like pretty good at what he does, although maybe not tonight. I don't know. That shot. Maybe not tonight. Also, 18 goals and six assists on the year. So, like, don't sleep on that guy. And he's somewhere like fairly high up in the uh, goals scored at Q2 Stadium ch- uh, chart. So, like, he's going to be difficult to play against too. All right, Christopher. Like, let's let's talk about how this is going to happen. What do you see going Listen, on this week? First step is forget everything, Landon and Jeremiah <laughs> just told you. This is a rivalry match in the playoffs. Nothing matters other than who can struggle through the pure chaotic energy that will be surrounding Q2 next Sunday. Luckily, we have a proven track record of doing that, even very recently. But like, what is what makes this so beautiful is we haven't beat Dallas yet. This is it. It, it you know what it really reminds me of, honestly, is when LAFC first got in the league, they could not beat the Galaxy. For like a couple of years, they, Galaxy always had their number. When NYCFC got in the league, could not beat Red Bulls. It was just like this kryptonite of like these old guards beating the new guys in town. Look at where that's ended up now. There was always one turning point, and this could be it. How how glorious! Like just 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 imagine with me for just a second. Just imagine we beat them. We beat them in a conference semifinal. They, they are going to be so confident coming into this. Oh, they haven't beat us before. Oh, we've got the Jet and Ariola and Velasco now. This is this is it. This is it. Think about it. But but seriously, like, yes, there's tactics that can go into play. You can approach it a certain way, whatever. This game is going to be insane energy-wise. And I think one thing that we were talking about while we were watching this game that we should be really encouraged by is Austin is the kind of team that shows up for the big occasion. I thought that was just going to mean the playoffs in general, but I actually think it depends on the opponent. I think that this is the team that, like, when you're playing your LAFCs, when you're playing your Seattles, when you're playing in a rivalry game, they are a different profile of a team, and they tap into something a bit deeper. I think we're going to see a completely different performance than we saw yesterday against RSL. Uh, so we were talking about this a bit while we were watching the last half of that game of whether or not we think that big game like mentality matters and like what they just went through against RSL. If that like what we learned from that, does it show like, OK, they needed like the kick in the pants to be able to like turn it on for this next one? I think like mentality wise, it could help to have gone through that game. I don't know that that mentality helps us finish chances any better, which is the part that really concerns me. Um, if like, yeah, maybe we'll be a bit more focused, not let that third minute goal go in like we did the other day, but I don't know how much like being ready for the big occasion and the focus helps like a header go two inches the other direction. Like maybe it does, but I don't know. I think, I think it, it quickly becomes a debate of like, is preparation or mentality more important? And the truth is they're both important and they both contribute to each other in their own ways. But like we discussed earlier, you know, like I think what you're pointing out is true, but it's not what makes a good team versus a bad team. It's what makes a good team versus a great team. I think we're a good team, but I think teams like Philadelphia and LAFC are a step above us because they don't need to be 
mentally locked in for every game. They have enough talent. They've smoothed out their philosophy and style of play enough that they can just go into any game and be the favorites. I think we are the kind of team that needs to be locked in. They play different, you know, like in the same way you could say like, oh, it doesn't solve our problems. But if you just watch the two times we played LAFC this year, you would say that team is knows exactly how they want to play and how to execute, right? Like it's it's different stories based on where you look. And so I do think mentality is going to play a big role in this game. I think reacting and how you cope with whatever happens is going to play a big role because it, you know, when Dallas presses us high, I mean, earlier this year when they played us at home, I think we were down two to nothing and came back to tie the game, right? Like, like there's they're going to create some chaotic moments, but they're also, if they press high, they're going to expose themselves to some really chaotic counterattacks on our end. So I think it's not just about like who's mentally locked in from the get-go, but who's ready to withstand just the pure chaos that is going to be that game. So like, Lineup wise, like we we talked about this on the show, you know, and kind of how how Austin started the first match. Like, what's what's your best eleven? If like, I mean, obviously there's a lot of positions that are decided, but like, do you is it Danny or Valencia? Is it Aruti or I is it uh, Aruti or Gite? Is it uh, Ethan Finley or Rigoni? Like, what wh- what do you do there? I think that Pereira over Valencia is the only obvious change because, especially with a high press, you want someone confident on the ball, and he just. I mean, we saw Valencia struggle a little bit against RSL and Danny really thrive. Like, that feels obvious, but I think the Rudy versus Gite is a really tough one because, I mean, like, in theory, you want, you know, a big kind of wrecking ball of a guy like Gite to capitalize on the chaos and create some of it, whereas a Rudy seems more like when the system's flowing, he's flowing, and I don't know how much the system will flow in a game like this. So that's a really tough one that... I don't, I don't know if I have the answer to that, honestly. Yeah, I, one thing I kind of wanted to talk about in the first half of the show and forgot to is that very often the, the it seemed like guys weren't playing balls to Valencia. And so it was less, it wasn't so much that he wasn't affecting the game because he wasn't playing well. He wasn't affecting the game because it wasn't really in the game a lot of times. And I think it's a lot of them not playing him the ball, but a lot of it him not just inserting himself into the game. And I think Danny Pereira will do that. And I think you're right. Like in in this high press, we need some press resistant guys. And on Danny's day, he's very press resistant. He's very ball secure. On his off day, or even when he has like an off 15 minutes, he might give the ball up in a very terrible position and leave uh, leave Cascante one-on-one with Paul Ariola. And so that's kind of like the double-edged sword of Danny Pereira. He looked good the other day. He looked confident. He looked like he had a chip on his shoulder. I'm hoping he can bring that into this game against FC Dallas. So I'm pretty sure Danny Pereira is going to start. Um, I, I'm i pretty sure Maxi Ruti will start. Maybe not. Maybe maybe Wolf has seen enough from GT. I think my biggest question is on the right wing. Um, mm. Rigoni looked like we talked about in the first half of the show. He, Despite his misses, he had a pretty good game. So I, I think it's like, do you do you have faith that Ethan Finley will play the game that we've seen him play more times than not, or is, is he going to have an off day? I think off day Finley and okay day Rigoni. I would pick okay day Rigoni, but if Finley's you on, like he's been he's been really effective for this team. I actually feel really strongly that Finley should start because 
one thing Ravioni was undeniably really good at yesterday when he came on was his defensive work rate was like Maxi Ruti-esque. Like he was so hungry to win the ball back. And I feel like too, Finley has a really good tendency of wanting to hang wide and high. And so if you're talking about a high press and wanting to counter it, I feel like that's what I want from the get-go to just make them run more and stress them out a bit. And then you bring in a guy that even if he's having an off game, is going to really put in the effort to the defensive work rate, right? That you may need to win that one ball and get the breakaway when everyone's running with tired legs at the end. So I think for that reason, I would still go Finley, Southern Ragoni. And I think too, like everyone knows he's a bigger profile player. And if this is the game he shows up, like there's just some, there's a mentality shift that like, if things go south for us and we're trailing, you're going to be more elevated, I think, by bringing a guy like Ragoni on than Finley. And it's if it's a tough call, it's kind of good to have that in your locker a bit, you know? Yeah, I think it's fair. That's a little bit of it, like how you put the puzzle pieces together, right? Like, um, we saw this this you know in the in the game last week where you you need to be able to bring on guys that make a difference and like like Ragoni, Gita. You know th- those they can do that because they change the game, they change the way that the club plays, and uh, like you don't get as much of that if you start the other way around. And I feel like you kind of like this. This is really it for it, but like with Maxi, like Maxi runs so much, like you only. Mm-hmm. Which one thing I saw him in the first match is like run yourself to death in the first half because we have somebody coming on, and that's how you can optimize himself. And so like I yeah. feel like. To balance that out, you kind of need like Ragoni to come on and run in the second half because you're not going to necessarily get the same play out of Gite, and you have to look at like the way the whole eleven fit together. Yeah, that's a good point. So looking at the FC Dallas starting eleven, Paxton Palmacall came off at halftime tonight. It, I, I think I saw on Twitter it was a hamstring thing or appeared to be a hamstring thing. Paul Ariola pulled up a little bit lame and was subbed off late on. He was celebrating like he wasn't injured afterwards, so maybe he's fine. Um, and then Jesus Ferreira went down at one point and acted like his legs were bothering him. Um, so we might be facing kind of a beat up FC Dallas team. So I, I'm not sure what we're going to see against them. I would guess most of those guys with a week's rest almost are, are still going to be fine to go. Um, but it, it, it will be like, this is, this is the neutrals dream, right? To have the LA Darby on one side, the Texas Darby on the other side, like it's going to be crazy. I, I didn't think Q2 could get any wilder than it was on Sunday, and we might see that this coming Sunday. Oh, we haven't seen anything yet. Anything yet. I love it. I alone will yell louder than Q2 collectively on Sunday. (laughs) All right, well, any more thoughts on the game, boys, before we wrap up? Uh, Yes. Um, What's your over-under on Felipe starting a full-out brawl in this game? (laughs) I think it's pretty high. I think it's pretty high. What is that? We did we didn't talk about this to the other show too, but the tweet from uh, was it Pablo Maurer that was talking about how uh, Felipe's been in the league for like ten years and his basic objective. Yeah, this is what it was. Felipe's been in MLS for a decade plus, and I feel like he, all he ever does is try and create maximum chaos at all times. Say what you want; it's absolutely entertaining. Wolf puts him into the game to simply destabilize it so like i feel like i can i cannot wait to see that out of him again this week when he comes in i did i did love that uh he was he was in a lot of guys faces during the game uh but one of my favorite moments was as 
Marcos Silva was walking up to take the first penalty. Felipe followed him like halfway to the penalty spot and was Beautiful. chirping at him the whole time. And then finally turned around and went back to the halfway line. <laughs> Incredible. He's, he's dedicated at what he does. Lynn, and I'm sorry, before we do wrap up, there's, if I could just use this platform to issue a quick apology that I feel like I, I kind of owe. Um, uh, to Zach McMath, uh, the RSL goalkeeper, I just wanted to formally apologize for the things I yelled at you on Sunday. <laughs> it was maybe a bit out of line to look up your family members' names and include them in the insults I hurled at you <laughs> after the goal went in. It was a bit dramatic, maybe, to yell at you, I died and went to hell and Satan sent me back to give it to you. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> and I want to apologize even further to Martin Piaf, who I will be giving significantly, significantly more hell to. That, That's all. I'm proud of you, Chris. That It takes a big man to apologize like that. <laughs> to apologize yeah. in advance for what you're going to do <laughs> yeah. on Sunday. Yes. All right. Well, you can uh, hear Chris yelling at Martin Paz on Sunday at 7-something p.m. at Q2 Stadium. It's advertised as 7. It's on ESPN again, so sometime between 7 and 7.30, I imagine, kickoff will happen. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be nuts. Can't wait to do it. Uh, I'm also terrified, and I'm afraid I'm not going to survive. But This is what it's all about, y'all. This is what it's all about, the emotion, the beauty, the glory. Let's do it. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. We'll be back next week where we will review the Texas, what's it called? The Copa Tejas match. Uh, the game of our lives. Yeah, Derby or Darby. And I don't, I don't, let's go the Copa Tejas match. Uh, and then hopefully we'll be previewing a Western Conference final and then covering any other Austin FC news that happens between now and then. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And I'm ready. <laughs> We'll catch you next time. No one is around. Thank for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my God. But you, hey, you cannot hear the game in the background on my TV, right? I've got it like as low as it'll go and still be on.